Good morning. Good morning. One more time. Good morning. It is so good to see all of you here. Just to let you know, uh, we are so thrilled that in another week, we'll be having our children's Christmas presentation across the street at the high school. So just a reminder, I know you know that. There are other things going on. Uh, For the sake of time, please check your bulletins if you need any more information. But we will, of course, and I reiterate this, have our Christmas service the following week on Christmas Day. But you're actually getting two Christmas services this year. One will be the children's Christmas presentation. The following week on Christmas Day will be our time together. Wonderful time to have visitors with us. And we'll be starting in the book of Isaiah for that one service uh, on the 25th. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy toward us. Around this time of year, we're reminded that you sent your son for us, individually and corporately, to save us from our sins, from our wickedness, our selfishness, all of our problems and all of the things that we bring into our lives because of our fallen nature. We know that there's coming a day when you will judge the earth in response to the prayers of the righteous. And so as we contemplate these things today, may we understand that judgment will come according to your time, but in the meantime, you show mercy and grace and compassion and long-suffering even to our enemies. Help us to understand that. Help us to be patient and to patiently endure the difficulties of this world as we await your coming. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to look at chapter 8 in the book of Revelation today. You can turn there with me. And in Revelation chapter 8, we, we in chapter 7, took a little pause, a, a parenthetical chapter where we dealt with some of the things that were happening behind the scenes or at the same time or will happen in the future during the time of the end or Daniel's 70th week. This time of tribulation is going to come upon the earth, and during that time, certain things are going to happen. Much of it is revealed chronologically. There are moments where we take a, a, like a chapter like seven and look at things that are happening throughout the seven years. But today, we, we get back to our chronology, and we had seen uh, two weeks ago the opening of the sixth seal in heaven. I'll remind you that that scroll document is a title deed. It's the redemption of the earth. And as the earth is being redeemed, it's through this process where Jesus, the Lamb of God in heaven, which we saw in chapter 5, unrolls the scroll and breaks each of these seven seals. We are now at the last of those seals, the seventh seal. And now we read in verses 1 through 2 in chapter 8 that when he, that is Jesus, the Lamb of God, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. A lot of sevens in the book of Revelation. You need to know that seven is a symbolic number. It means perfection or completion. The idea is that God created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. So in the Hebrew mind, in in the biblical mind, you understand that seven is a number of God's perfect work. So the subtle message here with the repetitive sevens is that God is doing a perfect work. And he does some of that work through grace and and a lot of that in this book through judgment. Now, John heard silence in heaven for about a half an hour. 
Now, I know what you're thinking if you're like me. You're thinking, wait a minute, Pastor Tim, I thought there's no time in heaven. And there isn't. But John perceives things through the eyes and the understanding of a person who lives in the space-time continuum. So when he says about a half hour, what he's trying to say is, you know, imagine if we just got quiet for a half hour. Have you ever been in a situation where someone says a moment of silence to remember something or someone? There's that awkwardness almost. Imagine a half hour of that. It's a long time. The point is that John is saying there's this long pause, the calm before the storm, a long pause. Now, this is really very interesting because this is in stark contrast to the previous scenes of heavenly praise where there was constant praise. The four living creatures, the angels, the 24 elders, everyone's bowing down. We even saw the Gentiles in heaven and the 144,000. All of this is in heaven, but all of a sudden everything stops and there's this pause. I think the message of the pause is twofold. There's an anticipation as to what comes next. And before things happen at this level, there will be a pause. But I want to remind you, we're living in a great pause. Uh, you, you remember, well, let's go back. Do you remember cassettes? Remember pause? A lot of times you hit pause and it would make a funny noise and then the tape would get stuck in there. We won't even discuss 8-tracks. I don't think anyone's alive here who remembers them. I'm joking, of course. Hey, here we go. <laughs> but then, you know, we, we, we get to CDs and, yeah, young people, there was this thing, it was called a CD before streaming. I can't believe that we're talking about CDs like that now, like the like way we talk about cassettes. Uh, and you'd hit the pause button, and it worked very nicely. And perhaps you've seen this on your uh, DVD player. Even in your streaming, you have a pause button. Everything just sort of stops before the next thing happens. Now, I've noticed that when we're in a pause, it's, it's not only a little awkward. It, it gives us time to think. In fact, before you react to a situation, hit the pause button. But here's what happens. There's a pause in heaven. Do you know something that God has hit the pause button on his judgment? What do you suppose could cause him to do that? Why would God... Like, see, here's the thing. If you told me I had the opportunity to judge my enemies, I'd hit the play button. Maybe fast forward. <laughs> skip. You know, skip where you jump to... Like, but I'm not hitting pause. God, the scripture tells us, is long-suffering, compassionate, abounding in mercy and love. He's not anxious or in a rush to judge this world like you and me. And though we cry out for God to deal with the wickedness and the wicked people in this world, God would say, pause. It tells you something about the heart of God. And aren't you glad he paused long enough for you to come to know him? What if, what if the day before you got saved, someone said, oh God, please hit the button, hit the button. 
John saw seven angels who stand before God, and they're given seven trumpets. And these seven angels are of a specific order and rank in heaven. They're, they're specific seven angels. Um, they may even be archangels, although that name or phrase is not used. Uh, but the phrase archangels mentioned twice in Scripture. You'd be surprised only twice, actually, in 1 Thessalonians 4 and in Jude uh, verse 9, you'll see that the term archangel is used. Now, we do know the scriptures talk about ranks of angels, principalities, powers, uh, dominions, authorities, but here are seven angels, and they have a specific purpose, and they're of a specific order and rank, and and God doesn't want us to study angelology. That might surprise you, but a lot of people get into that, and you know, that's not really our, our, our study. We study God's word. But the study of angels from the scriptures will show you we don't know a lot about angels. But what we do know is much of it in in, in the Bible comes from books like Daniel or Revelation. Uh, But we do know that there are these seven angels. Now, speaking of archangels, it might surprise you because some of you may be familiar with Catholic teaching where they give the names to these angels and seven archangels. Uh, That is all extra-biblical, except Michael. Michael is the only being that is specifically named an archangel in Scripture in Jude. He's also in Daniel called one of the chief princes, and he's going to lead the armies of heaven against Satan's angels, the fallen angels. And we'll see that when we get to chapter 12 of Revelation. Exciting chapter to look forward to. But John saw another angel. And I want to remind you that the word angel in the Greek simply means messenger. Sometimes in the book of Revelation, it's very helpful to just replace angel with messenger. Like, for example, in chapters 2 and 3, to the angel of the church of Sardis. It's really better understood. To the messenger of the church of Sardis. There's no angel running the church. There was a leader, a pastor, a messenger of God's word. There are times in the vision where John simply uses the word messenger, and he's not trying to qualify angel, archangel, Fallen angel, saying He'll just use the word angel. And many times, it's Jesus. And this very well may be one of the times where it's not just an angel, but a mighty angel, right? But a mighty messenger. So if we change the word to English, mighty messenger, then it helps us to understand that what we're about to see more than likely isn't some angel, but Jesus himself. Oh, I know what you're thinking, but Pastor Tim, you said he was the Lamb of God in heaven. He is. But we also saw him seated on the throne. And we'll also see him as a mighty angel throughout this book, a mighty messenger. Is Jesus a messenger? Say amen. He's the messenger of God's love and grace. So sometimes that confuses people. But think about it this way. Think about there's so much to Jesus that we don't even understand that in heaven, it's all about Jesus, isn't it? I'll give you another example. If you look around just this church, you will see a number of different stained glass windows and different images of Jesus. Not just one. There, I'm looking at the back there. I see two just right there by the doors. And if you look around, you'll, I'm sure you'll see more. He, here's the thing. There's not just one image of Jesus in the book of Revelation. There are many. And he's not always referred to as the Lamb of God. Sometimes he's God on the throne. Sometimes he's the Lamb of God. Sometimes he's a mighty messenger. Understand that, and it'll free your mind to receive the vision, which is, of course, called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's a, that's a really important point as we move forward. So, John sees another angel. Look at verse uh, 3. Another angel who had a golden censer. Now, censers are used by priests, okay, to offer incense. 
Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. On the golden altar before the throne, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel or messenger's hand. And then the angel or messenger took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightnings, a lightning, and an earthquake. So this messenger appears in a vision when the seventh seal is opened. And quite a bit takes place here. But as this messenger comes forward, he came and he stood at the golden incense altar before the throne of God in heaven. If you're familiar with the design of the tabernacle and the temple, you'll know. Just I hear kids running. They're getting ready for the play. They're doing something over there. Is the door open here? Okay, we'll make sure both doors. Thank you, Anthony. If you're familiar with the tabernacle or the temple in heaven, you'll know that there are pieces of furniture in the tabernacle and in the temple. And one of the articles, and I'm going to talk about this, is the golden incense altar. There's the brazen altar, which is outside the temple or the tabernacle, where they would sacrifice animals and burn them on the fire. That was for the burnt offerings, the sin offerings, the trespass offerings, the peace offerings. But inside, there was this incense altar, and they would only burn incense on that altar. So that's what we're talking about here. And in heaven, there's this vision of of the tabernacle or the temple, uh, and the messenger goes into that as a priest and offers this incense. And I'll talk a little bit about that in just a minute, but... He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints. Now, we've talked about this before. We'll talk about it again. Incense in the scriptures represents the prayers of God's people, God's people Israel, in the tabernacle or the temple. You see, before Jesus died, there was this veil between the holy place and the most holy place or the holy of holies. And they couldn't go behind that veil. Only the high priest could, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement, unless they were moving the tabernacle, uh, then, then the presence of God would lift, and then it was okay. But other than that, they weren't able to get behind the veil to, to get to the presence of God because there was a barrier between God and man. But what happened when Jesus died on the cross? It was ripped or torn from top to bottom, opening the way, so that as the book of Hebrews tells us, which is very much about Jesus the high priest, the way has been opened to us and we can come boldly before his throne of grace for time of help, uh, for, for help in our time of need. So that's the picture, but isn't it interesting? The incense could make its way through, under, and around the veil into the presence of God. So it became a symbol of prayer which can make its way to heaven despite our sinful nature. God has heard the prayers of his people long before Jesus came and died on the cross. So this is interesting. We see the prayers of of the saints and specifically the prayers of those who are suffering, praying to God, praying for God's judgment, maybe praying the prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And these prayers are now finally offered. Maybe they've been put together for a moment where they're going to be uh, received by God and, and responded to. But God knows every prayer we pray. And these prayers are offered to God by those belonging to him on earth. Now, 
he offered, this, this angel, this messenger, offered the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints before God. And as I said, this may be very well, I think is, Jesus himself. And the reason for that is this messenger is definitely a high priest ministering at the heavenly altar of incense. Now, it'll be, I'm not going to go there today, but I'll refer you to Hebrews chapter 8, where we're told there is a heavenly altar of incense in heaven. In fact, Hebrews 7 tells us that God, Jesus, has given the prayers of the saints to offer before God. So Hebrews lets us in on <clears throat> what is happening uh, when we read in the scriptures it said, he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf before the throne of God. There is a heavenly priest, and it's Jesus who stands before the throne of God today to, to not just defend you, but <clears throat> stand in the gap as your Savior. So that when the accuser, the devil, accuses you before the throne of God day and night, as we'll see, he does. In, in Revelation 12, we'll see that. That Jesus can stand up as the high priest and intercede on your behalf. So that's the picture. It, 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 again, I, 7 and 8 of Hebrews will probably get you there. There's also a heavenly temple, uh, which of which the earthly is only a copy. We learn that in Hebrews chapter 8 as well. In fact, Moses was told to build the tabernacle after the pattern he had seen. He received a vision of the temple in heaven, and then God gave him the dimensions. So when we look at the tabernacle or the temple, or any of the temples talked about in Scripture, they're all very similar, and they're all a picture, a vision of heaven. And I don't have time to get into that. That's another study. If you're interested in this, you can go online, listen to the study we did in in Hebrews, because that really deals with this in depth. But Jesus is our heavenly high priest. Of that we are sure. And this messenger hurled the golden censer on the earth, and this is a prelude to God's coming judgment, as we've already read. He had filled it with fire from the golden incense altar in heaven, and the golden censer caused severe storms and and an earthquake on the earth. Because this is God's earthly judgment, this judgment was brought about through the earnest prayers of his saints. So when you pray, and listen, all kinds of people, even people who don't know Jesus, pray this prayer. When they pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That portion of what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is the Lord teaching his disciples to pray, that portion, when you pray that part of that prayer, that's this incense that will one day be answered. You have to admit, there's nobody that's ever prayed that prayer that can say, God answered that prayer. Or or do you disagree? Have you looked outside? Is God's will done on earth as it is in heaven? No. Will it? Yes. And this is when this begins. And it's through a time of God's judgment. So keep praying, but just know that that prayer is not going to be answered until God's time. Why? Pause button. God's grace. Don't be discouraged because you prayed and God didn't respond in the time you wanted him to. As you see God pause, it gives you really understanding of what God wants from us in terms of us responding to others. So when we have the right to judge somebody or to call somebody out, or or we are in the right, and instead of responding or reacting, we pause. We are most like God in that moment, who pauses instead of bringing immediate wrath and judgment. Are you with me? Say amen. So there's a lesson just in that. 
But now we get to what some people think is the exciting part. I actually think that's the exciting part of this chapter. But let's look at the next section. Uh, here, this, you have the sounding of the first four trumpets. And that's all we're going to look at today, just the sounding of the first four trumpets in heaven. Now, it's interesting because we've had seven seals, and then the seventh seal is opened, and now we have seven trumpets. And then the seventh trumpet will blow, and then we'll have seven bowls. It, it's, it's a cycle of judgment. A lot of it is a summary of the things that are taking place described in increments. So does it happen in this order? Probably, but even if it doesn't, the point is that God is revealing his judgment on the earth. In, we're just learning about each of these things one at a time. They could happen all at once. It's not about when they happen. It's about that they happen after God's mercy. So let's look at verse 6, and I'll set the stage here. We read that then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. Before we get to the first angel, they're preparing. They're, they're preparing. It still hasn't happened. Did you notice that? There was silence, and now they're preparing. It, it kind of seems to me that God isn't in a rush to judge. And I, I want to reiterate that again. He's not in a rush to judge. I am. You are. We are. But God isn't. And that should help us to correct our hearts. But remember that this is a continuation of the cataclysmic judgments that began after the opening of the sixth seal. Things got bad at the sixth seal. They got worse at the seventh seal. But back in chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, we learned that John had seen a great earthquake happen on the earth. Uh, when the sixth seal was open. And then the sun turned black, the moon turned red, the stars fell to the earth, the sky receded, every mountain and island was removed from its place. And these calamities are the summation of the seven trumpets. So what the sixth seal sort of did is give us a preview of what's about to uh, be seen. It, it's like a summary, and now we're going in detail down each of the little pieces of what brought about the sixth seal. So it's not so much that the sixth seal happens, then the seventh seal happens. It's God's description of his judgment being revealed to us. So it's more so that we can understand the judgment than it is so that we can say, oh, it's Tuesday, uh, today the second trumpet is supposed to blow. It's not about that. That's not, this is a vision. It's a vision. So it has more symbolism than anything else. Okay, so natural conditions or nuclear weapons might account for these drastic changes. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We're not sure what will bring about these changes. It does seem to be that they're natural uh, calamities. But the earthquake seems to bring about most of the other calamities on the earth. Obviously, volcanic fallout would obscure the sun and filter its reflection off the moon's surface. That happens, and we know that. And it's interesting, because two weeks ago I taught this, and then that week I went online to read my news, and in, uh, on the big island of Hawaii, uh, Mauna Loa, which is apparently the, the most active volcano on the earth, erupted and is still erupting as far as I know. It was interesting as we just talked about this. Now, that's nothing at this scale. But if you're there witnessing this, and I don't suggest you take a vacation to that island right now, probably not a good idea. Um, but if, if you were there, and some people, are, they get in the helicopter and they fly over, not going to be me. Maybe you have, God bless you, you made it back alive. But when you look at that, you realize it affects everything. Talk about global warming. I mean, it affects everything on the planet, really, uh, an eruption of that kind uh, and magnitude. Uh, so it was just fascinating to me that we just talked about it, and then it literally happened. But that's not the fulfillment of the scripture. That just helps us to understand what this might be. Meteors, meteorites, asteroids, and comets, 
might easily pummel the earth. We talked about that two weeks ago. And of course, the atmosphere would be obscured or destroyed by the volcanic and meteoric fallout. By the way, in L.A. and in Southern California, no natural disaster has to happen for it to be smoggy. What we do and the things that happen around us affect the atmosphere. No surprise there, right? Massive geological and topographical changes will certainly be the result of the sixth seal. And now we get to the seventh seal, and now we talk about the seven trumpets. We're just going to look at four today. And I think, personally, this is my opinion, that what we're seeing, especially in these first four, is a, sort of a breakdown of what we've already talked about in detail. And we start with the first angel because everything that's talked about is very similar. So look at, look at verse 7. In verse 7, and by the way, uh, the stuff we're going to talk about today sounds like God really wants to destroy the earth. Remember the pause. And it'll help you to have the proper balance and perspective on reading these things. Okay? Say amen if you understand what I said. Thank you. Okay. It's about God's grace. The book of Revelation is about God's grace as much as it's about his judgment. Okay? The first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down upon the earth. Um, uh, A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. So you guys were sprinkling your lawns says all the grass. The point is, this is going to be devastating. What is it? Well, you know, I don't know exactly, but as I look at the description, hail and fire mixed with blood, this sounds like something that's never happened before or may have happened during the plagues of Egypt, but I don't think it's just natural, but this may be further volcanic eruptions. Maybe he's using blood to describe lava. I don't know. He's trying to describe something he's probably never seen before. So the language he uses is helpful, marginally helpful, but it, it, it's not precise. Are you with me? It's, it's, it's so, so just understand, he's just, it's bad. That's the point. Okay, it could be a severe meteor shower, it, but the disaster resulted in the destruction of a third of the Earth's vegetation. You can imagine why that would be a problem. Now, as we've looked at these things, going back to the, the, the first, few, uh, first four seals, You'll remember that there were wars. There, there were things that came upon the earth that weren't necessarily God doing it as much as it was the devil doing it. I want you to make a distinction. Some of the things we talked about when we talked about the seals, some, not all, some of those things were things that mankind will do to themselves with the help of Satan. And in that conflict, if you go back, you don't have to turn, but I'll read it for you. Going back, uh, I remember that the first four horsemen of the apocalypse, the first four seals, brought about, uh, as it says here, they were given the power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So a fourth of the earth has already perished by this time, at least. And now we have this happening on the earth during this time. You can see why people don't want to be here during this time, right? And I don't believe the church will be here during this time. But understand something. Whether we're here or not is irrelevant. Because even if God in his infinite wisdom decided to allow his people to stay on the earth during his judgment being poured out on the earth, 
because there will be some, we talked about them last week, who live through this time period, they will never experience or suffer the judgment of God. God will not judge the righteous with the wicked. Okay? So understand that. But I believe the scriptures teach, and I teach, the church will not be on the earth during that time. But remember, there will be saints, Jews and tribulation saints, Gentiles from all over the earth, who do love God, who will give their lives and be martyred for their faith. Now, whether they'll be martyred before this happens or not, I don't know, but I knew that. I know this. This is going to happen at some point. And when it does, during that second three and a half years of the seven years of tribulation, this is not going to be a fun place to be. We already know that from the sixth seal. We're told that uh, they, they, they hid in the mountains and cried out. The people hid and, 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 and said, let the mountains fall on us and save us from the wrath of God and, and of the Lamb. So going back to chapter 6. So this is bad. That's the point. Now we get to the second angel. And again, I think what we're seeing is a, sort of a categoric description of everything that happens on the earth during the sixth seal. But going back to the second angel, in the second angel's uh, coming, we see he, he blows the trumpet uh, and it says, the second angel sounded his trumpet and something. Now remember, John is not, a, he's not an astronomer. He's not a scientist. So his descriptions are the best he can do with the vocabulary and the understanding he has. It says, the second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea turned into blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. I, I think, you know, you've seen enough sci-fi movies to know that that's a pretty accurate description of what very well may be an asteroid impact on the earth. And of course, if an asteroid impacted the sea in that way, we all know it would be absolutely devastating. Is it an extinction-level event? Clearly not. But it's bad. And that is what we're told. This huge mountain all ablaze, could be a large asteroid, results in a disaster, and the destruction of the third of the Earth's oceans, its marine life, and its ships. Okay, so that, we got the Earth being judged. We have the sea being judged. It's a comprehensive judgment of God brought about through the prayers of the saints. It's thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So before you say, oh God, why would you do that? You prayed for that. You prayed for that. When you asked God into your heart and you cried out to God and you started to pray that prayer in earnest, what you're saying is, God, I want you to set things right on this earth. And that's what it's going to take. I, I know it's not pleasant to consider it, but it's still true. And then the third angel sounded his trumpet, the third trumpet in heaven. And in verses uh, 10 through 11, we read, the third angel sounded his trumpet in a great star, blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. The, the name of the star is Wormwood, which in the original language just means bitterness. Uh, a third of the waters turned bitter. And many people died from the waters that had become bitter. So something comes out of the sky that poisons the fresh water supply. This isn't getting any better, is it? It isn't. And it's not going to. And that, I guess, is the point. But just remember the pause. Just remember the pause. Now, if an actual star, as defined by science, even got close, closer to us than the sun, the gravitational pull, I don't need to tell those of you who understand science, would destroy the earth. So it's not a star, we know that, but understand John's perspective. He looks up in the sky, he sees planets, 
which in Greek is the word for wandering stars, um, he sees anything in the sky, they kind of refer to them as stars. And it's interesting, they actually called angels stars because they had this concept of that, of being representative of the angels or the messengers of God. So it's not an actual star, but what could it be? Well, it was funny, uh, not funny, but uh, interesting. A number of years ago, two movies came out very close to one another. It might have been back in the 90s. I can't remember when. But first there was like, I think, a deep impact, right, came out. And I think that one was about uh, an asteroid, or maybe I got it confused. Uh, And then there was Armageddon, which I think was about a comet. I might have it reversed. But in either case, I have it reversed, Steve? Thank you. Resident sci-fi geek. Thank you. (laughs) Deep Impact was a comet? Yes, Deep Impact was a comet. Elijah Wood was in that. Okay, yeah. And then, uh, what was the other one? Uh, Armageddon with Bruce Willis. Remember? Cool movie. So that was the uh, asteroid. But in either case, they came out around the same time, and I thought to myself, wow, that takes care of the second angel and the third angel. But you know what? It's just a movie. But one day it's going to be real on some level. Imagine that. So could it be a comet? Well, if you want to see what that looks like, you can watch those movies. But a great star blazing like a torch, maybe a small comet. Obviously, it would have to be a small comet or a piece of a comet or something because if it were much larger than that, it would destroy the Earth. But it could collide with the Earth and create what's being described here because this disaster resulted in the destruction of a third of the Earth's fresh water. So that's bad. <laughs> and uh, many people died because the water was poisoned. Okay? Not hard to imagine. It actually makes sense scientifically, doesn't it? You know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, then we get to the fourth angel. And it's not until we get to the fifth and the sixth angel that things really become more spiritual in nature. At this point, we're just talking about what could be natural disasters brought on by God's sovereign will, and maybe a little bit more than just natural disasters. Many of the natural disasters described in the Old Testament have the hand of God on them. Like I remember there was a time where they were battling an enemy, and the Israelites were in the wilderness, and hailstones started to come down like they were, like they were huge. They were like millstones. But interestingly enough, they only hit the enemy. I like that. I can get behind that kind of hailstone. Um, so... You know, when you look at that, you realize, okay, it's got a natural origin, but let's be honest, God is behind it. And I think we're seeing a little of both here, clearly. Uh, But that takes care of the third angel. Finally, we see the fourth angel sounded the fourth trumpet in heaven. And as he did, uh, this is what we read. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun uh, was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them was turned dark. It doesn't mean that they were actually struck as much as it means the light is now obscured by a third as to what it was before. Which, if the things that happened in the first three angels blowing their trumpets happened, this would be just a consequence of that happening. And you see, you can understand, you know, we're trying to look past the descriptions which are elaborate and see that this is not hard to even imagine because it could easily happen. And if God says, let it happen, it'll happen. You know, when I, when I, See, on the news, they talk about, oh, this asteroid was comet's coming really close to the Earth, and it's a million miles away. I think, well, God doesn't even have to try that hard. All he has to do is redirect it a slight bit at some point. But have you ever stopped to wonder why we don't get bombarded with more comets and asteroids? Why there aren't more earthquakes and volcanoes? We always lament that there are any, but have you ever stopped to think, this is a crazy planet. There's a lot of things going on around us. You know, I believe that God protects us. I believe it's, hey, the question you, you should ask is, why, doesn't, why does God make this happen? The question should be, why hasn't it happened yet? The pause. 
God is protecting this planet. These are the natural consequences of a sinful universe. And all God does is let us experience it, but in his grace and his mercy, he prevents it for as long as he possibly can. God loves me. Does God love you? Do you know that now? You never thought you were going to get this message from this chapter, did you? But it's there because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ and God is love. And he died on the cross for your sins. He rose again on the third day and he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And that's what this looks like. But understand God's great love. You should go home after a study in Revelation feeling more loved by God than you've ever felt before. If it's taught properly. If it's taught properly. If you go home and build a bomb shelter, pastor didn't do his job. Okay. The darkening of the sun, the moon, the stars, probably atmospheric debris or a change in the earth's rotation. I, I, I imagine that if, you, if the earth was pummeled by asteroids and a comet, that the rotation of the earth would change, at least a little. And when that happens, everything goes crazy. Uh, anyway, the disaster resulted in a decrease of a third of the earth's light from the sky. So now it's dark, or, or at least a third darker. Then John sees something else in vision. In verse 13, he said, As I watched, I heard an eagle. Now, this is probably translated a messenger like an eagle flying through the sky. But in either case, literally, I heard an eagle. Notice he heard an eagle uh, that was flying in midair, call out in a loud voice, Woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. Woe, woe, woe. Now, again, probably an angel or a messenger that cries out like an eagle. John is using language that we can understand, that he can understand. But he cried, woe, 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 to the, those living on the earth. And this is those living on the earth during the second three and a half years of this time of tribulation. Now, the three woes referenced the final three trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. And these coming judgments would be even more severe than the first four judgments. So, are we going to teach that on Christmas? No. I'm not the brightest bulb in the shed, but I'm not that dumb. So we'll be in Isaiah. Not next week, because next week we have the children's presentation. But on Christmas Day, we'll be in Isaiah. And then if you really want to pick this up where we left off, right before the new year, a little bit more appropriate than Christmas Day, We'll get back to this. We'll be talking about demons and fallen angels and basically anything, you know, those types of people. I'm not one of those people, though, not at all. Uh, <laughs> would like to talk about around Christmas. But I know you'll be encouraged because we're studying the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly the person we're going to see each and every time we open God's word, even the book of Revelation. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Because you love us. And we understand that a little better today, maybe than we did before. Your great love for us is such that you would wait to bring these things on this earth so that as many as possible could come to know you. And we've come to know you, and so we're grateful that you hit that pause button through the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And then the 2000s, and even today that we know you love us so much that you haven't brought judgment on the earth that you want to save as many as you can, but we also know the day is coming when you will. And so, give us the heart of patience, 
patient endurance. Give us compassion and love. Help us to be long-suffering with others who deserve judgment because we deserve judgment more. Because we're educated sinners. We, we know better and we still sin. There are many people out there living in sin that don't even know what they're doing sin. Help us to reach them with the love of God, the truth of God, and with your word and the hope in Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.